Welcome to Idlewild Cottage, a quiet place where kindred spirits can linger together over a cup of tea, savoring all things lovely and cozy. My name is Juliana, and I'm delighted to have you. Each episode here at the cottage will center around a theme. That theme will be celebrated in a number of ways, through literature, art, nature, and even some favorite movie scenes, we'll cherish the sweet and simple things of life. So make yourself at home, and I'll put the kettle on. To a Skylark Hail to thee, blithe spirit, bird thou never wert, that from heaven or near it pourest thy full heart in profuse strains of unpremeditated art. Higher still and higher from the earth thou springest like a cloud of fire. The blue deep thou wingest, and singing still dost soar, and soaring ever singest. Just as Percy Bysshe Shelley was swept into the poetry of the Skylark's dance in the first two stanzas of his immortal work, so we will take a moment today to open a few literary passages that sweep us into sky, island, garden, parlor, and even to a schoolroom in admiration of birds. When my oldest son Drew was in preschool, he was an avid birder. He and my dad, the kid's papa, would pore over the Birds of North America field guides, making check marks next to those they had spotted from my parents' deck at the edge of the forest. A bird whistle and binoculars completed their outfit, and they made quite a pair as the chickadees visited the feeders, the woodpeckers dashed in and out of view along the trunks of evergreen trees, and the occasional eagle soared overhead. As we gather today, let's imagine ourselves seated along the front porch of Idlewild Cottage, equally as enthralled by our surroundings. The fragrant honeysuckle attracts hummingbirds with striking iridescent green wings. Finches and sparrows provide a chorus of liquid birdsong as we visit, and every once in a while we ever so quietly tiptoe toward the nearby hedge to peek at the bright blue eggs tucked in the robin's nest. Now, we've had temperatures in the 80s and even 90s here in Washington State lately, so I hope you don't mind if I change things up a bit and serve lightly sweetened sun tea. I think you'll enjoy this mango tea from Trader Joe's with just a splash of simple syrup as we take a look at five beloved classics today. We'll begin with Jean Craighead George's 1960 book, My Side of the Mountain. Twelve-year-old Sam Gribley has escaped city life and is braving the wild on his own. Well, not completely on his own, for he has found a friend in Frightful, his newly trained falcon. One of the gasping joys of summer was my daily bath in the spring. It was cold water, I never stayed in long, but it woke me up and started me into the day with a vengeance. I would tether Frightful to a hemlock bough above me and splash her from time to time. She would suck in her chest, look startled, and then shake. While I bathed and washed, she preened. 
Huddled down in the water between the ferns and moss, I scrubbed myself with the bark of the slippery elm. The frogs would hop out and let me in, and the wood thrush would come to the edge of the pool to see what was happening. We were a gay gathering, me shouting, frightful preening, and the wood thrush cocking its pretty head. The Swiss family Robinson has even greater plans when it comes to birds, as they attempt not only to train, but to saddle and ride an ostrich. After a month of careful training, our captive would trot, gallop, obey the sound of our voice, feed from our hand, and, in fact, showed himself perfectly docile. Now our ingenuity was taxed to the utmost. How were we to saddle and bridle a bird? A plan at length occurred to me. I recollected the effect of light and its absence upon the ostrich, how his movements were checked by sudden darkness, and how, with the light, power returned to his limbs. I immediately constructed a leather hood. Over the eye holes I contrived square flaps, or blinkers. The reins were connected with these blinkers so that the flaps might be raised or allowed to close at the rider's pleasure. When both blinkers were open, the ostrich would gallop straight ahead. Close his right eye and he turned to the left. Close his left and he turned to the right. Shut both and he stood stock still. Next, I was obliged to make a saddle. After several failures, I succeeded in manufacturing one to my liking and in properly securing it. It was something like an old-fashioned trooper's saddle. I soon saw that my plan would succeed though skill and considerable practice was necessary in the use of my bridle. It was difficult to remember that to check the courser's speed, it was necessary to slacken the rein, and that the tighter the reins were drawn, the faster he would fly. We at length, however, all learned to manage Master Hurricane. Now, if boys riding an ostrich is a sight to behold, Imagine what it would be like to see children holding storks in school. Inspired by the stories of their elders, the children of Shora are determined to bring storks back to nest in their little Dutch village. The final pages of the 1955 Newbery award-winning book, The Wheel on the School, are sweet and poignant as we see in these brief lines. Lena sat quietly looking down at her stork. She had to hold herself very quiet, absolutely still, or she'd burst out and scream and laugh and cry. It was so unbelievable, so wonderful, sitting in school with a stork in her lap. Storks in school, storks in Shora. She bent deep over her stork and cried a little and stroked its long white neck. Mary Lennox of The Secret Garden also feels a deep emotional connection with a bird, this time a robin, a robin who has the uncanny ability to coax the quite contrary Mary out of her selfish ways. She heard a chirp and a twitter, and when she looked at the bare flower bed at her left side, there he was hopping about and pretending to peck things out of the earth to persuade her that he had not followed her. But she knew he had followed her, and the surprise so filled her with delight that she almost trembled a little. 
You do remember me, she cried out. You do. You are prettier than anything else in the world. She chirped and talked and coaxed and he hopped and flirted his tail and twittered. It was as if he were talking. His red waistcoat was like satin, and he puffed his tiny breast out, and he was so fine and so grand and so pretty that it was really as if he were showing her how important and like a human person a robin could be. Mistress Mary forgot that she had ever been contrary in her life when he allowed her to draw closer and closer to him. Oh, to think that he should actually let her come as near to him as that! He knew nothing in the world would make her put out her hand toward him or startle him in the least tiniest way. He knew it because he was a real person. She was so happy that she scarcely dared to breathe. Birds often bring joy and happiness, but for poor Anne Shirley, one bird in particular brings embarrassment. Though perhaps it is Mr. James A. Harrison who should be most embarrassed by his parrot's behavior in Anne of Avonlea. In this scene, Anne has just sold Mr. Harrison's jersey cow, believing it to have been her own cow, Dolly, and she must now deliver the uncomfortable news. Mr. Harrison was sitting on his vine-shaded veranda enjoying his evening pipe. When he realized who was coming up the path, he sprang suddenly to his feet, bolted into the house, and shut the door. This was merely the uncomfortable result of his surprise, mingled with a good deal of shame over his outburst of temper the day before. But it nearly swept the remnant of her courage from Anne's heart. If he's so cross now, what will he be when he hears what I've done? She reflected miserably as she rapped at the door. But Mr. Harrison opened it, smiling sheepishly, and invited her to enter in a tone quite mild and friendly, if somewhat nervous. He had laid aside his pipe and donned his coat. He offered Anne a very dusty chair, very politely, and her reception would have passed off pleasantly enough if it had not been for the telltale of a parrot who was peering through the bars of his cage with wicked golden eyes. No sooner had Anne seated herself than Ginger exclaimed, Bless my soul, what's that red-headed snippet coming here for? It would be hard to say whose face was the redder, Mr. Harrison's or Anne's. Don't you mind that parrot, said Mr. Harrison, casting a furious glance at Ginger. He's, he's always talking nonsense. So I should think, said poor Anne the remembrance of her errand quelling her resentment. She couldn't afford to snub Mr. Harrison under the circumstances, that was certain. When you had just sold a man's jersey cow offhand without his knowledge or consent, you must not mind if his parrot repeated uncomplimentary things. Well, friends, that's all I have for today, but I do want to thank you so very much for the repeated complimentary things you kindred spirits share with me. Your likes, shares, and five-star reviews are such an encouragement. Several of you have reached out to say that because of Idlewild Cottage, you have read books like Anne of Green Gables and Betsy Tacey for the first time, and it just delights me to hear that. Thank you so much for reaching out. In closing, I'd like to share this paraphrase from Psalm 84 3. 
This is the season of nesting and hatching, so I find this to be a fitting passage for today. Birds find nooks and crannies in your house. Sparrows and swallows make nests there. They lay their eggs and raise their young, singing their songs in the place where we worship God. How blessed they are to live and sing there. Kindred spirits, as we hear bird song this week, would it inspire us too to praise and worship the God who made the birds of the air, the God who is worthy of our worship. Thank you for joining me today, dear ones. Please come again soon to Idlewild Cottage.